Good morning. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Morning, everybody. Uh, we have not had the chance to meet. My name is Matt Creasy. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Central West End Church. Um, it's a real pleasure to be with all of you this morning. So I want to tell you a quick joke. Ready? There was this guy. He's an atheist. And he one day was decided to take a walk through the woods. And he's just strolling through the woods, looking at the trees and the birds and all the glorious wonderment of evolution. And as he's strolling along, suddenly there appears a bear. And the bear sees the man, and the bear begins to growl, and then the bear begins to charge the man, and he takes off running for his life. And as he's running, little bit by little bit, the bear gets closer and closer and closer because the bear's a lot faster than he is. And just at the very last second, as the bear is lunging with its paw in the air, ready to delve the killing blow, the man cries out in desperation, oh God, help me! And suddenly everything freezes. The whole forest goes completely still as a single shaft of light descends from the sky and lands on the man, and a voice from the heavens says, so, you've spent your whole life denying my existence, and now, in your hour of deepest need, now you ask for my help? Shall I then now call you one of my believers? What is it you want from me? And the man's, he's taken back. He doesn't know what to say. So he fumbles with his, I, well, I, uh, um, who, uh, well, yeah, whew, yeah, I guess it's probably would be hypocritical for me to say I'm a Christian now, <laughs> uh, but maybe, um, ooh, would it be too much to ask for you to make the bear a Christian? 
Maybe? Very well, the voice says, and the light ascends back into the sky, and suddenly the, the forest comes back to life, and the bear, ah, mid-lunch mid stops, looks at the man, puts all four of its paws back on the ground, bows its head, and says, oh, Lord, I thank you for this food I am about to receive. <laughs> all right. I, bad joke, I know, but... I wonder how many of us in the room can identify with the man. Not at like the bear, getting eaten by a bear part. I mean, how easy it is to completely forget about, neglect, ignore prayer until we're desperately in need. For the past two weeks, we have been on the road with Jesus. Right? And back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, meaning he is now intentionally going to Jerusalem knowing that when he gets there, what awaits him is death, and crucifixion, and resurrection. Okay? And on the way to Jerusalem to meet this end, the Lord Jesus begins to teach his disciples he begins to teach his disciples and the others who've been following him around throughout his ministry what it really means to be his disciple. What it really will mean for them to follow him. He begins to tell them that to be his disciple means taking on this radical new identity. And a part of that radical new identity is a radical mission. And the disciples become desperate because they re realize, and rightly so, in order to do this, we're going to need help. We can't do this on our own. We need God's help. But how do you ask for God's help? Well, you have to know how to pray. So Christians in the room, if we are to truly be Jesus' disciples, we need God's help. And in order to ask for God's help, we need to know how to pray. And even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not sure where you are in this whole God thing, you need to know how to pray too. Because someday you might find yourself in an hour of desperate need, crying out to God. So, we need to know how to pray, and we're going to let Jesus teach us this morning. In our passage, Jesus tells us three things about prayer. If you are a person that likes to take notes, I would write these three things down. All right, the first thing he's going to teach us is what to pray. What is the content of our prayers? The second thing he's going to teach us is how to pray, the meaning the manner in which we ought to pray. Okay, number one is what, number two is how, number three is why. What is the basis upon which we should pray in the way that Jesus teaches? Okay? What, how, and why? All right, let's start off. What are we to pray? So the disciples make this request. Jesus teaches how to pray, and Jesus begins his answer with what the church has historically called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I think it's probably most of us in the room, even if you're not a Christian, would be familiar with this prayer. And you, you might be wondering, wait a minute, it seems a little short, Aren't there some bits missing, right? Well, good observation, well done. This is actually one of two records of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels. 
Okay, the, the Gospel of Matthew also records the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, and that version is a little bit longer. It includes the pieces that you are like, wait, isn't, that, isn't there like, protect us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, All, right? And typically when we recite the Lord's Prayer in church, we typically use the one from Matthew. Now, what do we do with the two different versions, right? What do we do with that? Well, one answer to that is that Matthew and Luke are writing to different people, Okay, their end is the same. They want to share the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus to whoever they're writing, but they're because they're writing different people, each writer focuses on different things. So there are certain things that Matthew focuses on that Luke doesn't, and vice versa, Luke focuses on certain things that Matthew doesn't, but all right? So that, hence why you get two slightly different versions. But more than that, and this is something theologians have said pretty much since the beginning of the church. Theologians and biblical scholars point out that when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he is not being prescriptive, he's being descriptive. You guys know what I mean when I say that? Meaning he's not giving us a script to memorize. He's not saying, okay, take these words exactly as I say them, and repeat them exactly as I said it every single time, okay? This is a prayer, not a spell, okay? This isn't like Harry Potter. It's Wingardium Leviosa, not Wingardium Leviosa, right? It's not so much the words specifically themselves, it's about what they convey. It's when Jesus is saying, this is what I want your prayers to be about. This is the content of what your prayers ought to be. You guys following with me? All right, now, so what, what is the content of the prayers? Well, really quick, let me just acknowledge the Lord's Prayer is both, in, it's really simple, right? The words aren't complex. It's easy to memorize. In fact, many children memorize the Lord's Prayer. But at the same time, it's also incredibly deep. It's rich and robust. And it's so much so, we could actually do an entire sermon series on each element of the Lord's Prayer. And maybe one day we will, right? But... We can't do that this morning, so I'm going to do really just a 30,000-foot overview, okay? We're just going to try to point out some key elements here. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and I've said the Lord's Prayer more times than I could ever even count. And I, for so long, for so much of my life, I treated the Lord's Prayer like a laundry list, right? I would just say, okay, you got to pray for this, and you got to pray for this, and you got to pray for this, and check, check, check. Okay, prayed for all the things. Cool. Right. But the things didn't really necessarily have anything to do with one another. But as I studied this passage this week, I've completely realized that th that's totally wrong. The Lord's Prayer is actually a cohesive thing. It all goes together. What, what holds it all together? Well, it's actually something that Eric talked about last week when he talked about the kingdom. And that is the biblical story. The Bible is given to us as a grand narrative, a story that goes like this. In the beginning, God created everything, the whole universe, and it's all very good. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. There's no death, there's no sadness or sickness or evil or oppression. Everything in the universe is in harmony with everything else. And then God creates human beings in his image to represent him in his very good world. And he commands them to fill the earth, 
fill the whole earth and to replicate what he had with them in the Garden of Eden. That is, the Garden of Eden was the place where God dwelt with human beings. So they were to go and replicate that all over the earth. But something got in the way of that mission. That, namely, human beings believed the gossip about God. They had heard from the serpent that God was not to be trusted, and they believed that lie, and so they rebelled against God. They betrayed him, and in so doing, it broke everything. Now, the world is characterized by death and evil, oppression, injustice, suffering. But God is committed to his mission. So much so that this Bible chronicles God's work in the world to make right what went wrong in the garden, right? That God's mission is still to redeem and restore and fill the earth with his very good glory, okay? And of course, the center of that, the axiom, the the fulcrum of that whole narrative is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as we learned last week, As disciples of Jesus, we, fundamental to our identity as disciples is that we are now a part of that mission. We are ambassadors, agents of God's redemptive work to restore everything in creation. That's who we are now. So how do we see that story in the Lord's Prayer? Well, what's the first thing right out of the gate? Hallowed be your name. Now, that's a very old English word, hallowed. But it means actually the the very same thing or pretty close to what the Greek word means, which means to make, to sanctify, to make holy or pure. How, How is God's name not pure? Well, we sullied his reputation in the garden. And we continue to do that by our sin. We misrepresent him. We've dirtied his name. So to pray, God, hallowed be your name, is to say, God, clean up your reputation. Christians in the room, for a second, do you ever think about God really, really cares about his reputation? What we, his creation, think about him? We start with God, repair your reputation, and connect it to that as your kingdom come, right? Let the world be the way you intended it to be. Let things work your way so that the world will be filled with life and flourishing and goodness again, right? And that is not an abstraction from what comes next, right? Because that's that big picture, gospel story orientation, right? God, bring your kingdom. And then the prayer then doesn't then say, okay, now I've prayed to God, now I've got to ask for my personal needs. No, 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 no. Within that gospel story, the, the individual prayer locates their, their needs. God, give, give me today my daily bread. You cannot live as a disciple and fulfill God's mission for your life if you're dead. You need food to eat. You need clothes on your back. You, you, we have basic needs to order to survive. And if we don't have those needs... We can't be a part, we can't live as God intended us to live, right? And what's more, we need forgiveness because we've all sinned. We've all sullied God's reputation with the way we've acted. 
We've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've been selfish, we've been cruel. We've misrepresented God. So we need to be forgiven of that. That needs to be cleansed from our lives. And our role, as we learned last week, if you weren't here last week, I would really suggest you go back on our website, listen to the sermon last week. But what we found out is that our role is we receive what God gives us through Jesus, and then we replicate that in our relationships with others. As Jesus imprints his love on us, we then imprint his love on others. We forgive those who are indebted to us, right? And then lastly, we ask for protection, right? In order to keep living the life God has called us to live, we need protection from ourselves, from our inclination to misrepresent God, and from outside evils that would influence us away from living the life that God's called us to live, right? So we pray for what we need, but we locate our needs within that bigger gospel story. Now notice, verse 13, the very, very end, Jesus is talking about us asking for what we need, but what is the answer to our needs? Jesus doesn't give multiple answers. He gives one thing that we re- that's the answer to our needs, whatever they may be, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a little bit, but just note for now, if you're a note taker, write it down. The answer to our needs ultimately is always the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what do we pray? We pray for what we need, what we really and truly need, but we locate our needs within the greater gospel story. And the answer to our deepest needs is the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's number one. Now, number two, how do we pray? What's the manner in which? Well, Jesus answers the how question beginning in verse five, where he uses an analogy of a neighbor, right? And now, To to understand this analogy, you have to understand how Jesus is using it. He's not making a strict comparison, like an equals comparison, like this is exactly like this. He's using a lesser to greater analogy, right? He's saying, if this is true on this level, how much more is it true on this level? You guys tracking with me on that, right? And the example he gives is a neighbor who comes, who's had a guest come in the middle of the night and he doesn't have any bread to give him. And so he goes to his friend, his neighbor, and like starts knocking on the door and saying, hey, I need some bread. I have a surprise guest. Now, we, some of us may not quite feel the need on this. Um, anybody in the room born and raised in a honor-shame culture? You don't have to raise your hand, but you could just like give me like a, like a nod. I don't want to embarrass you. So if this is written in an honor-shame culture, okay? And in that kind of culture, if a guest shows up, you are bound by honor to take care of them, even if they show up in the middle of the night, okay? You guys remember the, the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns the water into wine? Remember the des- Mary comes like, oh, they're out of wine, right? It's, it's this, there's this sense of honor bound up within being a good host. So this man has a real need. Oh no, I don't have anything. I have a deficiency. I don't have bread. So he goes to his friend and says, hey, friend, 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 I, I need bread. I need bread. I have a guest but it's in the middle of the night. And while they're friends, they're not that good of friends. And he's like, go back to bed, man. It's the middle of the night. And he's like, no, but I really, really, really need, I need bread. And so finally, he's like, even though they're friends, but that's not because of the friendship, it's just because the guy won't give up, right? He's being shameless. That's actually, that's the, the way the NIV translates it. Shameless audacity. Love that. Uh, 
so how much, if that's true on this level, between people who are kind of friends, how much more then for the God who loves us, who is for us, whose disposition is for us, and if we are bold and persistent, will he give us what we need? But do you know what this means? It means we have to be honest about our deficiencies. I imagine it was very embarrassing for the man to come over and say to his neighbor, hey, I have no food. That's embarrassing to admit. Let's get real practical for a minute. Christians, when you pray, if we pray, are you honest with God? Are you honest with him about what your real needs are? Or do you pray really vague, generalized prayer like, oh, God, you know, help everyone, bless us. Or do you say, God, I'm, I'm lonely. I'm so lonely. God, I am so anxious. And I don't even know why. God, I'm, I don't know how this is all going to work out. And I'm afraid that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And I don't know what to do. Are you that honest with God? Jesus is not suggesting that we pray this way. He's commanding it. What do we pray? We pray for what we need, but we locate our needs within the greater gospel story. And the answer to our deepest needs is always the Holy Spirit. How do we pray for what we need? We pray boldly and persistently and shamelessly. Now, why? Right? That's the real question. Is why, why should we pray this way? Well, Jesus answers that twice. First, at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, he says to his disciples, call God Father. And then later he uses another analogy. Uh, it's in ver, starts in verse uh, 11, where he says, what father, another analogy where he says, what father among you would give to his son uh, something bad if he asked for something good, right? Why would, who, would you give, who would give a scorpion when he asked for a fish or give him a snake if he asked for an egg, right? He uses this father-son analogy. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are God's son. Now, I see some of the ladies in the room going, don't you mean children? No, I don't. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible is clear that in one respect, all human beings are God's children, in the sense that God created everybody, okay? In that sense, God is the father of all human beings. But the Bible is very, very clear. Not everybody is God's son. Because in the ancient world, sons were not just a gender, it was a status. To be the son in the ancient world, the firstborn son, was the sole inheritor of the father's fortunes. The the firstborn son got it all. But that fortune, that inheritance, comes with an obligation to continue the family business, to take on the mission and the work of the father, and to take care of the rest of the family. It's a very special status. And throughout his ministry, Jesus called himself the son of the father. And doing so got him in a lot of trouble because that's a very high and lofty claim to make. But Jesus here says, you are God's sons. Whether you're male or female, you're God's son. How can he say that? 
Well, remember where Jesus is headed. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was bereft of his sonship. The love, the status, the honor, the inheritance that was rightfully his was stripped away so that we who have sullied God's name could receive the love and the honor and the status and the rights and the privileges of sons. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a son with all of the rights and privileges that it affords, which means you can go to God the Father and you can ask with boldness and persistence and shamelessness, Father, I need something. Help me. We can ask that way because we're sons. You know who's really good at asking for what they need or what they want very boldly and persistently? Yeah, kids. <laughs> you guys should come to my house sometime and just watch my kids interact with me. They will ask me for something over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they will fall on the floor and go, I want this, daddy, please, can I have that? No. Why do they feel so free to ask that way? Because they know that I love them. And that even when I am imperfectly just like, okay, fine, I'm going to give in to you because I love you and I want what's best for you. And they're secure in that. How much more then is our Father who's in heaven who is not like me, whose love is constant, who doesn't give in because he's annoyed, but who gives in because he just knows and wants what's best for us. How much more if we come to him in desperate need and go, Father, Daddy, I need help. Will he give us what we need? Which, remember, is the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Well, Jesus not only went to the cross, but he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, and after he appeared to many, many witnesses, he ascended back to heaven. And after 40 days, he sent the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. The same writer, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, where we get the record of Pentecost. The day that, the, that God the Father gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Okay, Luke is kind of foreshadowing what's going to come in, in the book of Acts. And it was on that day, as we, we've, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, it was on that day when we received, as his disciples, received the Holy Spirit, we really became God's sons. It's not an abstract idea, it's a real idea. The inheritance, the, tr the fortune of the Father, is his presence through the Spirit. What makes you a disciple? It's the Holy Spirit. Where do you get the power to love people, to imprint Jesus' love on them? It's the Holy Spirit. How do you even know what to pray when it's time to pray? It's the Holy Spirit. The answer to our deepest needs is the Holy Spirit. The life, the flourishing that we really long for, that the world yearns for, doesn't come through our efforts abstracted from the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Desperately in need for the Holy Spirit. And good news, we can ask for him boldly, 
persistently, shamelessly, and God's just waiting for us to do it. What do we pray? We pray for what we really need, and we locate our needs within the greater gospel story. And the answer to our deepest needs is the Holy Spirit. How do we pray? We pray boldly and persistently, shamelessly. And why do we pray? Because the Lord Jesus' work on the cross has made us sons of God with all of the rights and privileges. This week, would you pray? Would you pray like a son? We, Unison's coming up on Wednesday. That's an opportunity to, to pray with others. Many of us have community group this week. Some of us meet Sunday mornings at 9.45 to pray for the service. These, we ha- there are opportunities to pray. And together we can learn to pray like sons. Because that's who we are. Amen? Let's pray.